1: Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another edition of CLNS Radio's Celtics Beat. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and this week I'm joined by Adam Lowenstein, Stats Adam, as my co-host. More news has trickled out about Kevin Love to Cleveland deal this week, and we will dig into that with our first guest, Jerry Zagoda of the Minnesota Star Tribune. Later in the show we'll be joined by Brian Robb of Celtics Hub to talk Celtics offseason and more. How are you today, Adam?
0: Doing very well. It's kind of tough dragging our feet across this off season, especially with the limited number of moves that we've seen out of the Celtics as far as fireworks moves. But it's been a, it's been a relaxing off season to say the least.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a stretch here between now and when training camp's open with. Uh... Not really all that much to talk about, but as I alluded to in the intro, it appears the Cleveland Cavaliers have a deal in place to bring Kevin Love in to play alongside LeBron James in exchange for Andrew Wiggins, and the two teams are just waiting until August 23rd when the deal can be made official. The deal would make Cleveland the presumptive favorite in the East. What do you say? Is there any team out there that can derail the latest version of the the let's-make-sure-LeBron-wins-a-title train?
0: Of course, it was unfortunate to see. Paul George go down in the Olympic tri- or the FIBA trials there with the scrimmage where it's it's unfortunate to see the Pacers not being able to, to fight above 500 they'll be sneaking around there so they they're really out uh, as far as another team that, that you look for is definitely the Bulls I feel like that's really the only other team that seems to be in the same stratosphere as this Cavs team now that they're most likely going to have love and then a team to you know sneaky or you know sneaking around will be Washington and and Toronto and, and, you know, maybe we'll see something out of Brooklyn, but I think Chicago seems to be the team that would have the best chance.
1: Yeah, and of course, Chicago coached by former Celtics assistant Tom Thibodeau is known for their defense, and it looks like the Cavaliers will be able to retain the services of Anderson Varejao in the deal, thanks to the move to acquire Brendan Haywood's non-guaranteed $10 million deal, which presumably they'll still send off to Minnesota to balance the salaries. Do you think that Varejao and James are enough to offset Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and their deficiencies on the defense? Side of the ball, or is Cleveland just going to be a team that just wins by outscoring opponents?
0: What's interesting is that when LeBron was in Miami, he was terrific defensively. If anything, he had a little bit of an off year in the 2012 2013 season, and it was frustrating actually, it was the 2013 2014 season, and it was frustrating to see that drop off. But of course, maybe it was him taking the pedal off the medal and and maybe trying to step it up in the playoffs, and, and the rest of the team wasn't able to help him out as the Spurs kind of dispatched them in the finals. But I would say that it's going to be troubling to see this defense sometimes, but I don't know if it's going to be as bad as the worst of what we've seen when LeBron was previously in Cleveland. I think they have players in in place, and then they're coming in with a new coaching you know staff where it's going to take some time to bring everything together but i find that they'll be a better defensive team than most think
1: well, it's interesting because the last go-around in Cleveland, of course, uh, LeBron's coach was Mike Brown, who is known primarily for his, you know, defensive uh, knowledge, and now the coaches, of course, they brought in David Blatt from Israel, who's, you know, wonderfully creative offensive mind, but really, you know, isn't known for, for his defensive coaching, and, you know, the thing that I'd be concerned about is, you know, certainly LeBron has an ability to be an impactful defender, but he seems to pick and choose his moments, and, you know, that's kind of understandable given his his responsibilities on the offensive and and you know I don't know if he's going to be able to get away with picking choosing those moments you know to me while he can be a very impactful defender he's not that consistent you know every trip down the core type of grinder that like a Tony Allen is. And, and I, I think picking and choosing his spots is going to be problematic in Cleveland where a it's at least right now, there's no reason to suspect they're going to have a really strong scheme like they did in Miami. And, you know, for example, as it seems like I alluded to with, with Chicago and, and Tom Thibodeau and in Indiana under uh, Frank Vogel really rely on, on their schemes. And, you know, you've got some guys out there, you know, in love and, and Irving who are kind of noted liabilities on the, on that defensive end, so you know, I think that's going to be probably the biggest adjustment for this Cleveland team is is figuring that out. And they don't really have any role players other than Beresha, who's you know really a well, he's not a high flyer, he's kind of a wonderful rim protector in terms of his defensive positioning and communication. You know, none of the other kind of supporting guys really are are known as as defenders. You got Mike Miller, who's you know up there in age and was never a great defender to begin with, and you've got James Jones, who's kind of just a shooter there. So I think it's going to be a while before they figure out the defensive side of the ball and I think you're going to see a lot of you know 110 to, to 104 games out in Cleveland particularly early in the season
0: and what was interesting about this whole change this past offseason, LeBron going to Cleveland is that he is now going to be at a much lower weight than he's been the last few years in Miami and I think that's going to be interesting with most likely Kevin Love heading to Cleveland that means that LeBron's going to be more on the perimeter, and possibly that ends up being a better thing for his defense where he's able to focus on playing the 1s, 2s, and 3s as opposed to having to play against the bigger bodies in the paint. Maybe he's going to depend on more of the interior defense from Veragel, from Love, which, of course, Love is very spotty with his defense, so I think that's going to have an interesting impact on this team, but I think that'll allow the perimeter defense to be a lot better, though.
1: Yeah, Spotty's being a, a, a bit generous, uh, <laughs> but yeah, offensively, it'll be interesting, too, with both LeBron and Love both having that flexibility to play in the post and, and play outside, and, you know, normally, I'd actually have some concerns about that, whether there's going to be clearly delineated roles, right? You know, is it a good thing if Kevin Love is mainly focused on the, the paint and, and not able to kind of stretch that other team's best interior defender away from the basket, as he did in in, in Minnesota, but you know, at least on the offensive side of the ball, I've got a lot more confidence in David Blatt's ability to kind of figure out how to put those guys in the right places and create the mismatches that are really going to help them. And what other moves this offseason caught your eye and that you think maybe got a bit overlooked in all the LeBron decision part two drama?
0: One that, of course, as Celtics fans, we were seeing, and I think was talked about a lot in Boston, but really hasn't gotten that much covered across the nation, it seems like, is Paul Pierce heading to Washington. So it's going to be interesting seeing him as the, I'm going to think of it as the Dwayne Wade situation, where he'll play 50, 60 games or so. And he'll be there for the playoffs and for what could be the best backcourt in the NBA within the next few years in John Wall and Bradley Beal. This Washington team is ready, at least within the next few years, to make an impact. And I think Pierce will be a very nice transition piece that will allow them to at least move into the next era and be able to hit some threes for them and be able to give them some great veteran leadership.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great call. I think that Washington team could really surprise a lot of folks. I mean, most most people going to consider them a team on the rise. But if you look at kind of the pieces coming together, if Pierce has anything left in the tank and Nene can play anything resembling a full healthy season, wow! With with Wall and Beal kind of poised to make breakouts this season, and you know um, you know the big guy in there, Gortat in the middle, kind of being a, a a solid interior presence, that's a team that can then maybe cause some problems for some folks in the East, and that that'll be interesting to see. And last year, of course, we had a couple of teams really surprise folks and either make the playoffs or narrowly miss them. Which teams have the chance to be 2015's version of the Raptors and the Suns?
0: That's tough because you have so many teams in this Eastern Conference that seem to be able to vie for a fourth or fifth seed because of how bad it's been in the past. It'll be a little better. And I don't think I mentioned the Miami Heat, but they still have Chris Bosh there. So he'll be able to play them into the most likely the home court advantage part of the Eastern Conference. But when you look at teams like Charlotte, who seem to be still on the outside, and now they have their new name, the Hornets, they actually might be a pretty good team with their additions this past offseason. It's tough to say that some of the lower teams, other than, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers, are going to be able to move from outside of the playoffs, into the playoffs, but maybe Stan Van Gundy in Detroit. So that's another team that I think that has a chance of making an impact. But, you know, Charlotte made, you know, they were seventh last year. I think they might be able to sneak up a little bit more, even though they lost McRoberts.
1: Yeah, Detroit's potentially intriguing as one of those candidates to, to surprise people. I think you know a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with the Greg Monroe situation, and you know if anything happens with Josh Smith. And we'll we'll come back to that a little bit later on in the show. But before we do that, let's kind of go back to the Kevin Love situation and get an insider's view on the potential deal from our first guest, Jerry Zagoda. Jerry's a 30-year veteran and currently covers the Timberwolves for the Minnesota Star Tribune. Our interview with Jerry is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection. For all your Boston Sports Talk, tune in every Tuesday evening on CLNS Radio with CLNS Content Manager Sean Backey. Well, welcome to the show, Jerry.
2: Good afternoon. How are
1: you? I'm doing well. And obviously, the big news coming out of Minnesota is the apparently impending deal that will send Kevin Love to Cleveland to play alongside LeBron James and bring number one overall pick in this most recent draft, Andrew Wiggins, back to the Timberwolves. It's being reported that there's a verbal agreement in place. Is there any chance this deal doesn't happen as reported?
2: Well, we still have three weeks to go before it can happen, roughly to like uh, maybe a little less than that, to August 23rd. So there's always a chance people could back out. I'm not sure if there's actually a handshake deal i think they basically agreed it's going to be a love for Wigan, and then they got to figure out the pieces so i'm not sure if they've gone all through that yet i think that's still going to be some issues to deal with of exactly what the pieces are although you can kind of look at it sort of figure it out just what kind of makes sense and who's going to be willing to give up what and uh how you match salaries you know unless something strange happens unless someone changes their mind or somebody comes in late with a with a better offer, which uh, right now doesn't look like it's going to happen. But uh, the, the strange part about it is this 30-day mor- moratorium. So, you know, I think they're, uh, I know Flip Saunders is very reluctant to say, you know, anything's going to happen until it does because there's still time for for things to go wrong.
0: it's been really interesting just following this entire process because we remember when the Celtics had the Kevin Garnett deal back quite a few years ago now, and all the pieces that were involved. Do you know the players that you think will be part of this deal who may be coming and going as far as uh, Minnesota and Cleveland?
2: Well, there's not going to be much from from the Wolves' side because the Cavs are don't have any cap space and any chance that the Wolves have of trying to push off contracts they don't want on Cleveland is going to be hard to do. So, you know, essentially love. I'm not sure if they'll be able to take anybody else at all. They'd like to get rid of, you know, J.J. Barea. They'd probably like to trade Alexi Shved. Both those guys have expiring contracts that don't seem to really fit in here. But uh, whether the Cavs have the space, that's why you've heard talk of a third team to take back a contract or two to get involved whether it's Philadelphia or someone else and then you've gotta get you gotta figure out how to get to Loves or close within a certain percentage of Love's uh sixteen million dollar salary. So that's why we're waiting thirty days on Wiggins because you know, until he was signed his contract was worth zero in terms of uh, uh on the salary cap in terms of a trade. So they had to get his five and a half million dollar salary as rookie year involved. Um, then you're probably gonna get a guy like Anthony Bennett. I'm sure the Wolves would love to you know hold out and try to get Tristan Thompson more of a Real power forward, but uh, that's probably going to be hard to do. But you know, that may be one of the issues that's uh, still in contention right now. But then you take Bennett, who's five million, I think, and you're now you're at uh, ten and a half. And then there's a couple contracts that, uh, Cavs went out and and traded for it with Utah. They're now guaranteed that they could use the ship or, or keep for for uh, cheap players because they're going to be stretched the cap once they make this deal. And now they signed Mike Miller, and you know they're still, I guess, going after Ray Allen. They signed um, Jones. Those are kind of the the main pieces. And the question is, what draft picks uh, Cleveland? I don't think they can trade their own next year, but they do have Memphises and they do have Miamis. And I, I would assume the Wolves will go after Miamis to see if they can get that included, and then they could take that pick and. Then we could maybe see a third team involved, a Philadelphia, whether it's a pick, and you know whether they rent some of the Sixers' cap space for a year and send them uh, to Berea and something else, and then try to get you know a guy like Thaddeus Young back in return.
1: Now, how much did Kevin Love's previous kind of contact and, and relationship with LeBron James kind of play in this deal? You know, how much of it was Love's preference of where he was going to play make an impact on on what deal actually got done?
2: Well, I don't think Love ever said or ever had, probably even entered his mind. I want to play in Cleveland until until LeBron, you know, made his uh, big surprise and, and announced he was going there. I mean, in May, I looked at it and said, you know, I wrote a piece saying, you know, after the lottery of uh, where could he end up, and actually put Cleveland in among the, the top favorites. And people thought I was nuts, <laughs> but you know, that it, it, it just made sense. I mean, if LeBron, oh that was a big ass If LeBron came back. You know, they the, the Cavs have made overtures towards Love before last year when they had the, the first pick, and uh, Flip Saunders was hot. Again, uh, um, Victor Aladipo, they tried to go after him and, and got nowhere, and I think they in between they've made some plays for him. So it just seemed to make sense that, you know, it was a deal. that made sense for, for both teams because LeBron's, what, 29? He doesn't have four or five years really to rate. I mean, if you're talking about putting him with these... Uh, the rest of the Cavs roster as it stood, you know, a month ago. Sure. There's possibilities there, but you know, you don't win in this league when you're 19, 20, 22, 23. That's where all those guys were guys who were taken in the last three, four years. We don't know if love can win, but he's 26 or he will be 26 the time the season starts. And you know, he's six years in the league and he's, you're certainly, you know, miles down the road further with uh, trying to win big time when you get to the playoffs with him and, and LeBron and, uh, Kyrie, and then putting in you know whoever else you put around around him Mike Miller, Ray Allen, you know Chauncey Billups, whoever. Uh, then you are with uh, you know trying to ask him to develop and win with Tristan Thompson and, and uh, Andrew Wiggins for as much potential as he has. So for where each franchise is, it makes sense. Even though you know there's potential that four years down the road the Cavs could look really silly if you know Wiggins does become a superstar.
0: And what's interesting with regard to Wiggins and most likely heading to Minnesota is that there was bouncing around back and forth for Cleveland. They were saying that he was not on the table, then he was on the table. And then was there really ever a chance this deal was not going to get done without Wiggins in the trade?
2: No, I mean there's I mean there's you look at it, there's no way to I mean the only way that would have possibly would have happened is um, you know, they weren't gonna do it for Tristan Thompson and Dion waiters and draft picks. Uh you know, they don't they don't wanna take a flip's first priority is not taking doesn't want to take much of a step back if you can possibly do it. Now, you probably will just by swapping love and then Wiggins just because of the youth. But he is the best singular piece out there that they probably could have gotten in a trade. So the only way it could have probably happened was if they tried to play hardball with the Wolves and, and loved it and his agents are hey, the only place he's gonna resign is Cleveland, which would have been a lie but um, you know said that and then they you know tried to hold him out but that would have waited him out to the trade deadline and then you know maybe in Feb- in February when there's no other options maybe they could have swung a deal you know then by then you basically have wasted a waste- waste the whole season and another year of LeBron's career uh, so I think they probably you know this whole bit that he was never on the table that's what they publicly had to say but I never b- believed it and I don't think they've still ever said what he is on the table. But there's enough signs, you know, when they made the trade, you knew something was going on.
1: It seemed for a while there, there was a new leader in the clubhouse for Lowe's services seemingly every day. How much of the talk about Golden State and Clay Thompson or the Bulls and the various packages they supposedly had on the table was real and how much of it was just posturing?
2: Well, I think they had a deal done. I think they had a deal done before the before the draft. I think it was all done. It was going to be, as far as I heard, it was going to be Clay. It was going to be David Lee. and It was going to be Harrison Barnes. And I'm not sure what else. I think the Wolves were trying to get them to take Kevin Martin too, and I don't know what else was involved in terms of picks. And as I heard it, that uh Jerry West told uh, the Golden State owner, don't do it, don't trade play And, you know, they thought they had it all done, and then uh, it uh, came to a screechy halt and uh, d- didn't go anywhere because the Warriors changed their mind, at least that's the way I, I understand it. So, uh, then we move on, and um you know apparently now still that they're out of it, they're not gonna put clay Thompson is if they changed their mind now, I don't know if that would have changed things at all. You know, at the eleventh hour they came and said okay we'll 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 give you clay i'm I'm not sure whether that would even do it now at this point, and you hear stuff with the Bulls, but you know what you heard a week ago was that they'd offer Mirtich and um Doug McDermott and Todd Gibson. I don't believe that was true i mean there there may be parts of pieces in that, but uh, I think it was overstated what they were offering, what they were coming at with. I mean, I guess that's still a possibility, uh, kind of a dark horse to watch if something happens. With, uh, Chicago, maybe as much as a preemptive strike to keep him away from, from Cleveland if they did anything, but it just doesn't, that's not their MO. That's the way, that's not the way the Bulls and Weinsdorf have ever operated. They've never really gone and laid all the cards out on the table and, and, and done that to offer, you know, three or four big pieces kind of seems to go against their nature. So I think right now we're probably down to the Cavs and the Wolves unless something something weird happens.
0: And, of course, we're, we're coming from a lot of Boston talk here and, and trying to talk about, you know, the Celtics' chances. You know, they were a dark horse, it felt like, at one point during this process. Were there any other dark horse elf teams that might have been involved at some point?
2: Well, there were teams that went after them. You know, Phoenix went after them. Uh, Denver went after them. But Denver had the kind of offer that wasn't really you know, kind of nice players, but nothing, you know, not the piece, kind of the centerpiece that stood out, you know, Kenneth Fareed, Wilson Chandler, I guess that's where they acquired. they could have thrown a swallow in there. The problem they had and the problem a team like Phoenix had is, were they really willing to give up a number of pretty decent assets, maybe not great, but for a guy who probably wasn't going to resign there. At least they probably couldn't get a commitment from. And, um, you know, you hear a talk now that Love won't commit to anybody Well, he's going to, if they trade him to a place where he can win, he's going to resign with wherever they trade him because he's not going to. You know, the thing everyone's discounting here is that twenty-six and a half extra million dollars he can make if he signs whoever he's with come next July. I never bought the fact that he was just going to walk away from that and sign wherever he wanted to. Just. A guy, you know, he's 25, even when he came into the draft, he had a history of knee problems. You see him with ice bags on his knees after every game, and uh, I just think whatever he does, that uh, doesn't guarantee he's going to sign that long-term contract in 2015. He might do it in 2016, delay of the year, like LeBron's doing, waiting for the new TV contract, but uh, at some point he's going to want to sign that $100 million-plus offer rather than $80 million just to guarantee him himself that extra money.
1: Was there ever any realistic chance that Love could have at least started the season in Minnesota?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I still think, you know, if something thinks so apart that they're willing to do that, I think, I think it would probably be a disaster, but I think they're stubborn enough that they would, they would. And I still think that's, that is a possibility if something strange happens here that, you know, that they don't, they didn't feel pressured into it. And I mean, I'm still not even certain that it's, it's actually going to happen August 23rd or 24th. This could well drag into September too as well. I think it will happen by training camp, but what the exact timetable time is, I don't know. But I think Flip was willing to take it all the way to the trade deadline if he had to. I talked to George Carl about this about a month ago, and he just, you know, he said if they called me, which which the Wolves never did, but I tell him make the best deal you can because you don't want to go through a year like that. He did that with Melo in uh, in Denver, and he just says it's the kind of season you won't understand because it's just weird. Even when you win, it it feels different because you're you're you know you're winning with a guy that doesn't want to be there. He just says that it has kind of a karma that's just unusual and, and he you know, he made it sound like it was a pretty miserable season up until until they made a the deal on the trade deadline. So I think the Wolves are willing to do that. They still might be willing to do that, but they'd probably be advised against it.
0: And when you look at, you know, the suitors for love and talking about the Celtics again, you know, they were obviously interested in in, in this saga as you know, they were hoping that Danny Ainge and Flip Sniders could work out a deal, but you know, nothing ended up happening. And as far as those assets that Flip didn't want to use to rebuild. you know, Were the Celtics ever really a player in this deal?
2: Well, I know they pursued us. I, they, I don't know how far they got. I mean, they didn't get very far. They just they had nothing that really interested Flip. I mean, uh, he didn't want a whole collection of draft picks. He didn't want to have to rebuild again. He wanted guys who, you know, ultimately he's going to take a, a package where the guy has never played in the NBA before. But it's a unique guy, the number one overall pick of the draft, a guy that, Presumably, he loves a lot, but uh, they weren't going to do it for a couple picks this year, a couple picks next year, and completely blow it up. Uh, I know, I know, he likes he likes a bit. He, he when he traded down a year ago and traded the ninth pick that Utah used to take Trey Burke for the fourteenth twenty first pick, uh, he had um, sort of targeted uh, Olenek for that spot, and then he got taken like a, I think a pick four. So he liked both those guys, but I don't think he liked them enough as sort of a the centerpieces, the keep guys that were worthy for for a love trade even with that you know sixth and seventeenth pick because you're just not sure what you're going to get you know in retrospect now you know if Doug McDermott is as good as the Vegas Summer League showed you know maybe you would have been better off doing that but at the time there's just nothing really there interested in and and Danny was very ambitious as far as I understand and you know tried to go and use some of those other picks together things of existing players that flip might want but uh, never pulled off either
1: yeah it's interesting that you touched on that um because that was a question I kind of wanted to dig in with you that you know given that the reason the Celtics package wasn't a fit was that Flip was more interested in getting an established play in return and not having to to rebuild, is it all surprising to you that he you know uh, eventually settled on a deal that sent it around a nineteen year old rookie as you said that many have doubts can never really be a focal point offensively
2: well he can I don't know if he can be this year, but i mean the reason the the, the reason they're doing it is just because they think well, there's two reasons probably. One is they think he can become that guy, you know, that he has that kind of talent that, uh, you know, in three or four years he could be a guy who, you know, is maybe even elite beyond love, and that love for all his uniqueness and all the things he does that nobody else can do. He's probably not a. He's not a guy who can kind of create his own shot, win games for you. You can run plays for him, you can win games for you, but he's not a guy who's just, you know, that rare. Kobe, LeBron, Kevin Durant, and, uh, you know, they all do it in different ways, but they all do it by being able to, you just throw the ball to them at the end of the game and say, go win it. And, uh, Love's not really built to be that kind of player. Wiggins possibly could become that kind of player. And, uh, the, the other factor is he brings cost certainty. You know, you know what he's making for the next five years. And, you know, if you're talking the package of, uh, say Golden State, you trade Love away, you gotta take David Lee back to make uh, that deal work. And that was a little bit of a contention because the Warriors were trying to pass him off as like you know this All Star type player, and the Wolves thought it was just like a throw in a favor they were doing Golden State because taking that contract back, he's making nearly sixteen million dollars himself for the next two years. So you got you got that in the deal, and then you got uh, Clay Thompson who's up for a contract extension, and with what Gordon Hayward and others got this summer, you know he's probably looking at you know probably a max deal. So all of a sudden there you've got thirty two million dollars in salaries and that's another reason the Cleveland deal looks attractive because you've got a guy who could have all this potential and you know, you're not gonna have to pay him for five years probably. Or not pay him big anyways.
0: And last year the Timberwolves, you know, flirted with the playoffs and, and would have made the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. You know, if this love trade ends up happening and Wiggins goes to Minnesota. You know, what are you, the fans expecting from Minnesota basketball team coming forward, and then who becomes the centerpiece for this team with Love gone?
2: Well, the one thing I know people will be excited about I'm sure they'll sell some tickets for is the, the prospects of having Wiggins and Zach Levine. Now, they've never played a, a second in the NBA yet, but you got one guy with a 46-inch vertical and one with a 44-inch vertical. And so you got two guys who can leap into the, into the clouds, and then you've got Ricky Rubio to throw them lobs, I think the question with this team is how much better Ricky gets and uh, we saw it a little bit late in the year when love was hurt for a few games where Ricky seemed to assert himself more he's always here he's always deferred you know he's never you've never seen his offensive game really I mean he's a great playmaker but he, he doesn't look like he can shoot a lick and you've never seen him really can't get to the basket and score and in in the last couple weeks of the season you saw him become more assertive he got to the basket more he finished more often now the question is can he kind of step forward and be, I mean, he's not going to be a superstar, but can he be a better player? I mean, that's one of the reasons they weren't better last year. And they were like at one point, like one and 12, The games decided by four points at le- or less, and a lot of times that was because teams just laid off him at the end of games and he made bad decisions. And, you know, if he gets better, grows up, you know, becomes a year better and uh, develops any kind of jump shot at all, you know, hopefully he's the kind of guy that they can, Builds around at least kind of establish an identity. They're going to be a team that runs, and then, you know they're going to get out and let those Levine and uh, Wiggins, you know, run and jump. I mean, uh, they went. If they make this deal, they go from one of the least athletic teams in the league to one of the most athletic teams in the league in, in one offseason. That's very especially interesting. If you add, you know, especially
0: if you can have a guy like Freddy Young. Definitely because they're so high on Young, and it'll be interesting to see how he meshes with Rubio and Pekovic and the rest of the young guys on this team. As far as the love deal affecting Pekovic, is Pekovic on this team long term? Is he the starting center for this team for the next five to ten years? You're thinking, what's the effect on him with love leaving?
2: Well, the question is, you know, could you trade him? Got that big contract. He's got four years left. He's got a history of injuries. You know, he doesn't fit in in terms of athletically. I mean, Mm -hmm. a guy like uh, Gorgie Zhang much more so fits in with those other kind of athletes. Uh, You know, just a guy who can, and he's the one guy, they got who can, you know, protect the basket and alter and block shots. So it'll be it'll be interesting because Love made all kinds of room for Pekovic, and uh, now you're not going to have that kind of perimeter um, presence. And and the question is, will he get as much stuff around the basket as he did without Love? And the same thing with with Gordie, who you know ended last year, last six weeks of the season looked like one of the best rookies in the draft. But will he look that way too? Again, without Love, kind of creating space for. Him?
1: Uh, Jerry, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about an interesting piece you wrote last week about Roni Turiaf's offseason internship with a marketing firm. Can you tell us a little bit about the story and how it came about?
2: Well, he's a guy who uh, I don't know if people know his background, but uh, he's he's a different. You know, he's just a, he's not your usual NBA player. He's uh, thirty-one. He's been around the league, uh, sort of a journeyman, but you know, backup center. But he's a guy who people in Minnesota know, Fred Hoyberg, When he was here, he had a, Fred had a heart surgery that ended his playing career at the and 2005 and a couple of months later ronnie had the exact same kind of open heart surgery was to repair an enlarged or aortic root and him and um Heiberg became kind of buddies and you know mentors really good friends just because fred had been through it before so ronnie has kind of a little different view i think a little bit of, of the world and what he wants to do with it and uh He's, he started this foundation that helps pay for medical expenses for children who need heart surgeries, and he so I think he has a program where he puts defibrillators in uh, in schools that can't afford them. And so he has this foundation, and then he started also a kind of a management company, so he kind of considers himself as an entrepreneur. And they had a event here last year where Dave uh, Chappelle, the comedian, was here, and there was a local advertising PR firm that helped sponsor it, and Roni met a couple people there. Long story short, that uh, led to an internship where he's working this summer in like one- to two-week stints, basically, you know, back to sort of like he was an NBA rookie, working for $13 an hour, and he's do- donating the money to uh, to one of the programs that the ad agency has. But he's, you know, learning video production and public relations. He went with um, this ad agency, Olson Ad Agency in, in uh, Minneapolis. One of their accounts is uh, Discover Boating, uh, pr- to promote boating. So he was out at the Chicago Boat Show working the booth down there and learning all these other skills that he hopes to apply to sort of the, the business side of the the thing he says, you know, of his life that he wants to, you know, be known as more than a basketball player. He knows that that time is fleeting. So uh, I thought it was just kind of a you know odd story. Certainly the oldest and tallest intern there at 31 and 69, you know, all, these are most all, all college kids working uh, for 13 bucks an hour. And uh, he's doing it in little bits and pieces uh, June through, uh, I think, the, the end of August here.
1: Well, I really encourage listeners to go find that piece because I, I found it a, a really interesting piece. So, and listeners can find the rest of Jerry's work on the Star Tribune website at www.startribune.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jerry Zagoda. Thanks for joining us today, Jerry.
0: Thanks a lot.
1: That's some pretty interesting stuff about Roni Turiaf there. Hi, Adam
0: absolutely always fun to hear about those internships for the NBA players
1: yeah I don't know what it is about those uh, kind of tweener big men like uh, Ronnie Turiath because you know being kind of um, off the beaten path dudes because I remember running into uh, Drew Gooden who's a similar type of player in an Orlando airport probably gosh about 7-8 uh, years ago and I distinctly remember the run in because he had a Hello Kitty backpack uh, with him so uh, just something about those you know those, those- those undersized big men and and i think it maybe maybe affects you a little bit but you know one thing i want to do adam is go back to something we talked about with jerry and get your take on it and you know as i mentioned the word was that the celtics bid for love would fall short because flip was looking for established players and didn't want to take a step back does it surprise you then that you know he you know ended up taking a deal that looks like it'll uh, be centered around a 19 year old that has some question marks attached to him
0: is that possible it was the best centerpiece player that they could have gotten? When I look at the Celtics part of the deal that they were hoping to give, really Sellinger or a pick could have been the best player. It's kind of tough to say that they would have gotten a better potential out of a player that they know that they'll be getting in a trade. So it's such a weird balance, but you knew Love would have to go, it just seems like the situation would be so frustrating, that I guess that might be the best player that they could have gotten out of any deal that was possible.
1: Yeah, I mean the cost certainty part of it certainly makes sense to me. When you look at a Clay Thompson, certainly he's more attractive than a, a Wiggins in terms of winning, you know, next year and and the year after. Um, but you know, kind of having that looming max contract out there, I, I can see that scaring you know Flip Saunders off a little bit. And you know, apparently it didn't matter because Golden State pulled pulled Clay off the table. But yeah, I, you know, I, I have to wonder if some of this was really influenced by kind of a marketing perspective and and the fact that. You know flip it. it's easier for him to sell an Andrew Wiggins number one overall pick in the draft regardless of how confident he is you know Wiggins was going to end up being a game changer and you know as Jerry talked about being able to sell the idea of you know Wiggins and Zach Levine and you know some of these other guys you know like a George Udang running up and down the court and maybe a Thaddeus young catching lobs from from Ricky Rubio um, you know as a I guess in lieu of actually being able to win some game. So I kind of have to wonder how much of that, that that marketing played into it.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned the contract situation as well. When you get a rookie who could possibly be a, a franchise changer, that's the possibility you get when you get a great contract when he's coming off the rookie deal.
1: Yeah, and for all the talk this offseason about Boston, Minnesota, maybe making a deal, it kind of looks at this point now like the teams will be in similar boats this season. So let's bring on our next guest to talk in some more depth about the Celtics offseason and what we can look forward to next season. We're really pleased to be talking to Brian Robb of CelticsHub.com. Brian is a contributor to ESPN.com as well as an NBA insider for Boston's 98.5 The Sports Hub. Our interview with Brian is brought to you by the Patriot Speed Podcast. Patriots fans, training camp is here, and the Patriot Speed Podcast has you covered live on the scene at Foxborough for training camp. Tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. on CLNS Radio. Well, welcome to the show, Brian.
3: Thanks for having me,
1: guys. Great. I want to start by asking you about the media tempest from a couple of weeks uh, back involving Gary Tangway of the Sports Hub, Jeff Goodman of ESPN.com, and some members of the Celtics blogosphere over Goodman's comments on Rajon Rondo. And you have a bit of a unique vantage point on the debate, given your work at CelticsHub.com and your relationship with the Sports Hub and ESPN.com. What, what was your take on the situation? You know, it's a,
3: I think it's, a, it's an interesting situation in the sense that it just shows you how many diverse opinions there can be about one guy. and And no one is necessarily fully right or fully wrong. You know, some people look at Rondo and know stories about him behind the scenes that they can't really, you know, say publicly and stuff, and that kind of skews their viewpoint, but um, at the same time, you have you know, people, you know, I was someone obviously fully a part of the blogosphere, and there are very valid, you know, vantage points from there, and people obviously do work hard, and it's a very incredible aspect of media as far as I'm concerned, so looking at it from that vantage point, it's I just kind of, you know, you take it all in. People, yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, looked at from the sense that people are trying to, you know, create a story, create some buzz um, about a player or um, a story, since that's ultimately what you know, people in media uh, try to do sometimes. But you know, you take it all in. This is this is this is no new news uh, as far as Rana goes. Um, for me, this is a diversity opinion has to have been had about him for for years now and we just saw it, you know, firsthand between, um, you know, both sides of the fence, if you will.
0: And when you look at Rondo's on the court, you know, play, we see is obviously fans and media alike usually appreciate his pass-first style and competitive While other see him as a flawed player with issues shooting the ball and propensity for a confrontation. So he's so polarizing and, and... With regard to the team, and he's still on the Celtics for the time being, can you remember any other player being such a lightning rod, and do you think this drama has become self-perpetuating?
3: No, that's a good question. I really, I can't think of um, a player, at least since I've been covering the team, that splits the fan base so much about the guy in terms of, you can look at the things he does. Again, you think, oh, he has so many assists, he's so unselfish, but then at the same time, there we obviously know there have been times where he, you know, has a layup in front of him and he opts to pass out for someone for a mid-range jumper and turns down the higher percentage shot. So it's a unique way in the sense that there are very few players in the NBA that have, that's ever kind of had that kind of an issue before um, as a player. And I just think now, last year, where everyone's coming from, last year, last year wasn't a real Rondo. So I think we kind of have to push that out of our mind and kind of, for me, I'm withholding judgment mostly on what I think the you know team should ultimately do with him, and so I want to see what Rondo, a year out from surgery, looks like for this upcoming season. I want to see what he can ultimately do as the number one option for the team when he's healthy, and that's, again, he doesn't have a great supporting cast around him this year uh, to this point, but... That will. This will be the first time we can fully see him healthy and fully see. You know, he's coming. He's in a contract obviously, too. So when you put all that together, it's going to be. You know, the Celtics probably have a lot of answers, like we all do about him. And you know, he's going to have to prove, in one way or another, uh, what he's made of on the court this year.
1: And a lot of fans have been disappointed by this offseason. Expectations were probably heightened a bit by Wicks, Fireworks comment and the escalation of the Kevin Love situation in Minnesota. Yet the team was recently credited in ESPN.com with being one of the teams that had had a productive offseason so far. Do you think the fans' expectations around this rebuilding effort are kind of unreasonable?
3: It's, I just think, the, again, you, you, you had a guy, you had all the Kevin Love excitement at the beginning of the off season. And that naturally is going to create high expectations because you have that, you have Wick Grosek talking about fireworks or the possibility of fireworks. And you have, you know, six years ago the start of the big three era when they went from worst, literally almost worst the first in uh, one year. So the good news is I do think that while there is a, you know, portion of the sort fan of base that did I have, the you know, probably unrealistic expectations. I've actually been surprised at the number of realistic fans out there that weren't even disappointed the Celtics weren't able to get Kevin Love, but didn't really would, would rather keep the youth and keep the draft picks and kind of see what's next as opposed to going all in on a player like that right now. So they're at this point I feel like the Celtics fan base it's one of the smartest ones in the league. They're they're on top of things. They have a great understanding of you know, the value of draft picks, the value of young players, the the nuances of the salary cap. So, these people are becoming smarter and smarter, and it's, it's good to see because, you know, that is why we saw why the TD Garden was pretty much full for most of last year for all these games that were essentially meaningless towards the end of the season. And I'm not expecting a big drop-off from that this year, too, because, you know, fans, they still have young players, and fans are still excited about them, and they do see the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, the... The tell might be a long one, but when Danny Ainge trades nothing and gets a first round pick from a team like you know the Cavs, when like the they got in the three way deal with Brooklyn and Cleveland, the summer fans fans appreciate that more now than they would have a few years ago. I feel like I know I do as you know
0: as I've uh, started covering the team in the last few years. And as far as some moves that can still be done this off season in the last few days, we've heard a little bit about Jeff Green and Josh Smith being in a trade together possibly. What have you been hearing and, and what do you think of, of a deal involving these two guys, the principals?
3: You know, Adam, it's that's a deal where I don't think that the Celtics taking on Josh Smith right now and his pretty extensive deal, I believe he's Earning, I think, either thirteen or fourteen million dollars for the next three or four seasons. That that kind of kills the team's options for the next couple off seasons. So, seeing as they probably don't have, you know, making the postseason this upcoming season, you know, it's probably not. A, they obviously would like to do it, but I don't think it's a high priority, at least on the front office. And and Smith might get you closer to doing that, but you know, when you he's not on a good value contract right now. So I don't think that those two guys, while it makes sense in the sense that, you know, the, the Pistons could use a three man and the CZ obviously could use some help in the front court. I just don't think those two are going to be that that's going to be a match that's going to happen this offseason. I think ultimately right now, Ainge is going to be stuck um, in a bit of a conundrum with both Jeff Green and Brandon Bass. Uh, we saw the report earlier this week uh, from Zach Lowe of Greatland that you know the seeds have been trying like hell to move uh, Brandon Bass this last season but haven't really gotten anything of value for him. That's a that's a big red flag to me in the sense that Bass is not really on a bad deal. He's on he's on an expiring contract, paid probably you know fair market. For next season at six point nine million, and if the team if the team can't even get anything decent for him, I don't. It's going to be hard for them to to offload Jeff Green as well for anything of value. So those are the two guys I think are number one and number two in terms of who Ainge is trying to get rid of right now. They're veterans towards the later uh, half of their thirties, and I don't think they're a part of this team's long-term plan. So you want to offload them. You want to let the young guys play a Lennox, Solinger, uh, your, your James Jones, if you will. And But Ainge doesn't like to give guys away for nothing. So if you're not getting a first-round pick out of them, what, you're kind of stuck because you're not going to take another uh, expiring contract. That does nothing for you, but it's not a, a young guy of promise. So it just leaves Ainge stuck, and that's, teams around the league are getting smarter and smarter. They're either, you know, they have guys who can serve those kind of roles at Bath and Greenwood that they are they're paying cheaper prices, or they just don't want to tie up their salary for flex, flexibility with those guys. So, you know, the Seas have, once they sign Evan Turner, they're going to have 18 guys going into next year. I don't think Ainge wants to outright cut guys like Chris Johnson and get rid of the Keith Bogan's contract without getting anything back for it. So, He's you know, I it might be August but I have no doubt that uh Ainge and the rest of the front office is gonna be making calls for the next couple of months here to see what uh if there's anything out there for, for those guys.
1: Yeah, I think for me the you know uh a Smith-Green deal would only make sense as kind of a stepping stone deal for Ainge. Um,
3: right.
1: You know, and, and he's done that in the past, but I think the climate has changed significantly, and I'm I'm not a big fan of Josh Smith as a player, and I think uh, you know, I, I think as you said, he'll probably kind of get in the way of, of future moves rather than being that kind of stepping stone like he did moving, what was it, Jerry Welsh for Ricky Davis, then Ricky Davis for Wally Zerbiak, and then Wally Zerbiak as part of the Ray Allen deal, you know, in 2008. I think uh sure. you know, the, the guys like Smith aren't kind of in demand the way they might have been three or four years ago.
3: No, absolutely that's a great you know, those deals that you just brought up, Rich, that's exactly what we're talking about here. None of those guys on those big deal like in those involved in those deals, the C's always seem to get a first round pick as a part of those deals or got rid of a big contract. But in this case, they'd be getting a big contract and they wouldn't be getting, you know, a draft pick on top of it. Now the Pistons are offering you some picks and Josh Smith, then you know you're listening. But other than that, I don't think uh, there, there's a fit here right now.
0: It makes sense. And as far as the upcoming season, after speaking a lot about the the off season, which had a lot of mini fireworks, I guess if we can say it best. As far as the upcoming season goes, what are you most looking forward to?
3: Uh, I love. I can't wait to see what Marcus Smart uh, can do out there, Adam. Um, we obviously we heard a lot of rave reviews about him uh, playing as part of the uh USA select team in Las Vegas last week and, you know, going up against some of the the con the top guard competition in the league with guys like you know Jake Rose and Kyrie Irving and John Wall and you know, we had multiple people, uh, you know, former coaches, reporters being like, Wow, smart, you know, he's holding his own for these guys. So it's not gonna be I don't think it's gonna be necessarily pretty for him on the offensive end, um in the early going, especially uh as far as the shooting goes from the perimeter, but defensively uh, right away, he's going to be uh, someone who is, he might be one of the best backcourt defenders in the league right out of the gate. And you have Avery Bradley right there with him back there. That's a pair that might be seeing the floor together quite a bit. And on top of that, I kind of wanted to see what Brad Stevens looks like in year two. He had, you know, he, he did some good things last year. he, he himself, mid there, he did a lot of learning on the fly, um, kind of hopping into the NBA game with um, you know only a couple months to prep for it. So he's he's got a year under his belt now. He's got you know he, he knows what he's dealing with. He knows his team now. A lot of guys coming back. Um, a lot of guys coming in that he's familiar with from uh, his college days. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he uh, comes up with and a little the nuances of. I mean, both the offensive and defensive then that he, uh, that he has to work with here.
1: All right. Before we let you go, I, I got to ask you, uh, what did you think of, uh, Brian Scalabrini's, uh, parody, I guess, of LeBron's essay the other day? <laughs> uh,
3: I laughed out loud several times while reading it. I'll say that much. I mean, that was, uh, I've, um, you know, Scal clearly, uh, has quite the personality and we've kind of seen that, uh, over the years through his appearances, um, on the sports sub with Petra and Rich, and again, you know, if you're on his, his broadcasting um, for CSM a couple of years ago. But I think um, anytime you get more scowls, you know, in the, on the media component of it, he seems obviously, he was in a tough spot out there in Golden State, and that seemed like a nice release for him, if you will, just putting together that weather, which he really went all over the place with. I want to kind of ask him just, you know, how long that actually took him to put together since that seems to be more of a that could have been a couple chapters, I feel like, of the book, much less a, a letter. But um, I think it's great. Um, I'm excited to have him, to be able to uh, hear him on the games for this upcoming season. And that's that might be the best parody I've seen of the, the LeBron, LeBron letter so far. So that's, you know, that's never a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I think I, I definitely laughed out loud a couple of points in that, too. Just kind of wonderfully done. Well, folks, you can find Brian on CelticsHub.com in the Sports Hub. And you can follow him on Twitter, at CelticsHub. Thanks for joining us today, Brian.
0: It's my pleasure, guys.
1: Thanks for having me. So, Adam, i got to ask you, uh, what did you think of the Scal uh, parody of LeBron's essay?
0: It was just fantastic. I even had an audio recording of it uh, via one of the websites that you can take off of a recording of and just listen to it. So I even got some of the impact reading and listening. Just a fantastic thing that just made me laugh over and over again.
1: It was great, and I have a hard time figuring out whether I, I like that better or the you know his uh, NBA Finals press conference from a couple of years ago. The performance in that he's just yeah you know, he's just such a you know, refreshing guy. I'm, I'm glad he's back in Boston. Well, the other thing I wanted to ask you you know we talked a little bit with Brian about Celtics offseason. Of course, we talked with Jerry Zagoda about the the Kevin Love to Cleveland deal, and you know it looks like you know obviously that that's, that that uh, door is closing. So you know unless the Celtics really go with a kind of a full rebuild, you know, starting from the ground up, you know, who are some other guys that you might look at that, you know, might be free agents next season, might become available on the trade market that you think, you know, might be that piece they can put next to Rondo to then maybe attract a third piece?
0: One name you had mentioned to me off-air was Marcus Gasol, and that is just huge, not only physically on the court for the Celtics, but also just because he would add so much to a basketball team that has struggled to rebound many of the years since they've been a championship team. They were a great rebounding team with Perk and Garnett, and then they've slowly fallen near the bottom of the league over the last few years. They kind of crept up during the 2013-2014 season, but that really wasn't that representative of a team because they were so in limbo. So I feel like that's a huge part of it because he's provided so much on the rebounding end. And then you add the defense in the interior and, of course, the scoring.
1: Yeah, you know Gasol's a guy that I think flies under the radar a little bit. I don't think folks, you know, really appreciate how good of a player he is. You know, he's kind of a quiet guy. You don't see his name kind of in the the spotlight all that much. But you know, I mean, heck, you know, he and his brother, you know, in the last you know international competition, you know, almost led you know Spain to beat kind of the the USA Dream Team, and you know, putting him kind of in the pivot, and and maybe you know, instead of looking to to deal Jared Sullinger. For for that centerpiece, kind of giving him that compliment—a guy that can protect the rim and and who's just kind of a you know a wonderful pl- passer and can play out of the high post—you know maybe that would be a great fit. You know another name that I know is out there technically on the the free agent list for next off season is Lamarcus Aldridge, but you know it looks like uh, while he's waiting till next off season to resign, he's more than likely to stay in in Portland. So you know unless one of those surprise names you know pops up as they always seem to do. You know, I think Mark Gasol is going to be the guy that, that we you know, really hear about as being the, ne- the next target for, for Danny Ainge coming up. And now it's time. Time for Around the NBA in Five. Are you ready to go, Adam?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: All right. Paul George's injury. Should NBA teams worry about their stars competing in international competition?
0: Oh, I well, we're already seeing one player who's worried that Kevin Durant, who is the picture athlete on the FIBA.com USA roster page, is already withdrawn because of physical and mental reasons. So I guess even though from a, a fan's perspective – we saw the injury, and we think we can move on. We're already seeing the second-best player in the NBA pulling out of the FIBA World Cup.
1: Yeah, it's certainly you know the immediate impact is the um, the Durant situation, but you know I saw some interesting pieces today talking about you know, Mark Cuban obviously has been a big um, you know loud voice in saying that you know the the current situation is is really you know detrimental to the league and to the, the league's owners, where you know they're really taking on all the risk and they're the ones shelling out the Big bucks for these guys, but it was interesting. I saw some comments that were suggesting that you know Cuban's comments weren't really directed at having pulling these guys out of the international play, but actually you know having the NF, the NBA benefit from a revenue standpoint from it. Which right now, of course, the IOC is, is are you know the only folks that benefit for it. So you know that was really kind of a, a fascinating aspect of the story for me.
0: What's really interesting is a team that forbid manager Ginobili to play for Argentina in the FIBA World Cup has now made news with hiring Becky Hammond, yet another case of the Spurs being the smartest team in the room here as far as them hiring the first full-time female coach in male professional sports.
1: I think that's one of the things that makes them such a great organization. Listen, I don't know if this is going to be a success or not, but just their willingness to think outside the box and not be constrained by kind of traditional notions of how you run a basketball team and how you win is just, yeah, has to be applauded. And and we'll see how it goes. It seems like she's got the respect of the core guys on that team, and that's the single biggest factor for any coach.
0: What's really interesting, I was listening to David Locke, the play-by-play announcer for the Utah Jazz recently, talking about... We all grow up or most of us grow up with mothers, grow up with women leading our lives and and helping us grow up to be the people we are. Why not on the basketball court? It's a very interesting dynamic that really hasn't happened before on the NBA 4 or many of the other male-dominated sports.
1: Yeah, really, really interesting story. Well, uh, switching gears a bit, Andrew Wiggins interviewed the other day about his, the impending trade and, and his comments about just wanting to play where he's wanted. Was that the saddest thing you've ever heard from an NBA number one overall draft pick?
0: Oy, that was oh, That was frustrating to watch. It feels frustrating because not only do they have the rule that prevents the rookie from being traded, so he's being just held out there on this trade block, for these thirty days from the beginning of his signing day, it's just frustrating in general, and I feel like maybe there should be another rule or something that that prevents this from happening or or allows players because this is not what happened, what's supposed to happen with free agency. That, that's one of the problems as well. I think it's just going back to the NBA free agency where players are just making everything for themselves. Yeah,
1: you know, it. Uh, I have to feel for the guy, as you said, for being kind of hung out to dry because of this 30-day moratorium. But on the other hand, I almost wonder if his reaction just kind of reinforces a lot of the knocks on him coming into the draft, which was that he was just too passive. And, you know, I almost wanted to hear him come out and say, you know what, fine, LeBron, you don't want to play next to me? I'm coming for you. I'm taking your crown. Uh, that's the type of fire that I want to see out of an Andrew Wiggins. And it was a little disappointing that he kind of took the tack that he did.
0: That is interesting. And we move from one rookie to another. We go to the Celtics rookie, Marcus Smart, holding his own on the USA Select team against national team guards, John Wall, Damian Lillard. Is there a chance this guy is going to be even better than we think?
1: Yeah, I think there is. You know, I think Brian uh, kind of hit the nail on the head. It may be ugly for him at times offensively. Uh, you know, his handle can be shaky at times. I think he's got good court vision, and, and he's got an ability to break down a defense, not kind of in the traditional way through quickness, but just through, through strength. And I think you saw a little bit of that in the Summer League, and apparently that's carrying uh, over to the, uh, the the preparation for the international competition. And, you know, I think he's going to make his bones on the, the defensive end. So, yeah, I, I think he can come right in and be a, a solid contributor. And, you know, honestly, for his disappointed with where the Celtics fans felt with where the team landed in the lottery, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll take it.
0: I'm very excited for his ability to get to the hoop. Obviously, the Celtics have had struggles getting to the hoop, and now they actually have a few guards who, who will drive the basketball. When they got Evan Turner, who, of course, can't shoot the ball very well, and we know Marcus Smart has his struggles as far as shooting, they both can drive the basketball, especially last year for Turner and what we saw with Marcus Smart developing in his sophomore year at Oklahoma State.
1: Mm. Well, that's great stuff, Adam, and we're out of time for around the NBA in five and, of course, for Celtics beat today. Kind of sad we didn't get a chance to talk about LeBron's uh, low-carb diet and weight loss. We'll have to save that for another show.
0: <laughs> well, always a great show with you, and I, I really appreciate and I always look forward to hosting with you soon.
1: Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Steph LeGrateau, and Astro Vex. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Jerry Zagoda and Brian Robb. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Adam Lowenstein, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for another edition of Sumpkins Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.